With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. Programs to provide financial relief for organic dairies. Skyrocketing production costs, especially for organic feed, have pummeled organic dairies for the past two years, forcing some to sell their cows and leave the business. But California's organic dairies are beginning to see a glimmer of relief. Last month, the U.S. Department of Agriculture offered up $100 million in financial aid through a newly created organic dairy marketing assistance program. The funds are expected to be released in the late spring or summer. They will target small to medium-sized organic dairies. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report. And now let's get into our show headlines. The driving force in using H-2A. More after the break. In 2020, there were 25,000 H-2A workers in California. So what's driving the force opting producers to use that H-2A program? Is it a lack of labor availability within the state or is there more to it? Chief Finance Officer with Birchall Nurseries says it simply. It's the lack of labor. And it's it's been building. And it got to the point uh, a few years ago, before the pandemic even, that we would ask, you know, again, our business is very seasonal. And we would ask our farm labor contractors for the number of workers that we wanted to use. And we were starting to see a very real pattern of them being unable to provide that. And in some cases, um, not even close. And Mother Nature is not going to wait for you to figure out where you're going to get people and try to get the work done. Mother Nature is on her own schedule. We have to follow her schedule. And so we don't have the luxury, if you will, of putting things off. And so um, that forced us to start looking at things that we otherwise might not have looked at, like the H-2A program. Stay tuned to Agnet West and this radio station as we continue to provide you with coverage on this topic. But for right now, here's Agnet West Brian German with back-to-back agricultural reports. The water blueprint for the San Joaquin Valley recently suggested to the Newsom administration to make environmentally friendly water diversions to help California better manage water supplies. Jeff Vandenhuvel with the California Milk Producers Council, which is a member organization of the blueprint, said the idea has been looked at for several years and appears viable. Which is to put pipes under the bottom of the water column, essentially a French drain, and the water, then you have a fairly large area, you know, a whole manifold system of perforated pipes underneath the bottom of the water column. And the scientific work that has been done here has determined that if the flow is less than an inch a minute in terms of going into those pipes, the fish don't lose any buoyancy. Even the smallest fish in the fish larvae don't even notice that the water is leaving. So this technology has been applied in rivers, and we believe that would work in the Delta. Lawmakers heard from industry members during a Farm Bill listening session earlier in the week at the World Ag Expo. 
California Farm Bureau President Jamie Johansson said it's significant to have California representation in Farm Bill discussions. Well, it's big to have a speaker at any Farm Bill listening session anywhere in the country. I don't know if I've ever heard of that, but of course we have a speaker now who is Kern County, one of the largest counties in the United States. And also we have, you know, Congressman Valadeo, Congressman Costa, and there you represent Tulare, Kern, and Fresno County and Kings County. I mean, arguably the largest congressional district agricultural-wise in the country. So those are pretty strong voices to be here listening to us in agriculture. So we're optimistic that really in a farm bill that over, you know, maybe the last two, we're really kind of become more really benefited California and our forestry programs. But, you know, a lot of times other farm bills, we thought, ah, it doesn't really apply to California, but not the case anymore. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. In today's National Spotlight, the Senate Agriculture Committee discussed the largest part of the Farm Bill Wednesday as they heard about nutrition programs. In his opening statement, committee ranking member Senator John Bozeman of Arkansas talked about the nutrition programs versus farm needs in the Farm Bill. Many do not realize, but the nutrition title is by far the costliest title in the bill. Yesterday's CBO baseline projection shows that the Farm Bill Nutrition Programs, not the entire Farm Bill, but the Farm Bill Nutrition Programs, will cost more than $1.2 trillion over 10 years, which is greater than 80% of the total cost of the bill. In fact, according to CBO, we will spend more on SNAP from 2022, I'm sorry, 2023 to 2033 than we have in the previous two decades combined. Since the last Farm Bill, the cost of the largest of these programs, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, has grown by more than 94%, from $65 billion annually in 2018 to an expected $127 billion in 2023. The pandemic and inflation drove some of these cost increases, but let there be no doubt that the largest driver was a decision by the leadership of the Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services Mission Area to abandon 40 years of precedent and increase SNAP benefits by 21% to record high levels, levels that are unsustainable. Some will cynically point to the provisions to update the Thrifty Food Plan in the 2018 Farm Bill as the basis for USDA's action but Congress never agreed to permit a quarter of a trillion dollars, a quarter of a trillion dollar spending increase. As GIO recently documented, FNCS used a sloppy process with an accelerated schedule. USDA knew the outcome it wanted and then backed into it. Because of these actions, FNCS's political appointees have made passage of the 2023 Farm Bill much more difficult because they showed a lack of good judgment and a gross abuse of discretion. 
By leaning on the scales, they chose to disrupt the delicate balance of the Farm Bill Coalition and severely eroded the trust that is crucial to legislate and to govern. When one program constitutes more than 80% of the spending in the next Farm Bill and thereby effectively crowds out the ability to make crucial investments in every other title, is there really any room left for farmers in the traditional Farm Bill Coalition? Bozeman also said he wants increased work requirements for SNAP recipients. SNAP is available to anyone who qualifies because of an entitlement program. There are no participation caps. There are, however, specific requirements to receive benefits. One of those requirements is related to work. To qualify for benefits, participants must work 20 hours a week or be in job training. I think most would agree that 20 hours a week is equal to part-time work. For nearly three years, SNAP participants have been exempted from work requirements. It's time for this exemption to end, and it's time for USDA to get serious about enforcing work requirements. States should no longer be allowed to game the system. Jobs, good jobs, are plentiful. There are more than 11 million jobs open across the country, equivalent to nearly two job openings for every unemployed person. Approximately 5 million of those job openings are in 25 states and territories that are not enforcing work requirements. This job gap pushes labor costs higher, slows supply chains, delays our economic recovery from the pandemic, and importantly, is a large contrib contributor to the historic inflation facing our nation. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, some are wondering what USDA's February outlook for U.S. meat production and price is actually showing regarding movement trends. Well, Rod Bain has a story that looks at that while also talking about the dairy trade forecast. While they were somewhat mixed, production and prices for February mostly pointed in the same direction. A straightforward meat production and price forecast for February, according to USDA World Agricultural Outlook Board Chair Mark Jekinowski. Up for beef production at price. Slaughtering more cattle, but at a little bit lighter weight. The result was a fairly modest increase in beef production. We raised our steer price by 75 cents per hundredweight. Currently forecast at $159 per hundredweight. That would be record high. Add down production at price-wise for pork and poultry. Pork, we lowered it 40 million pounds, and that reflects lower carcass weights for pork. We lowered our hog price forecast by $1.50 per hundredweight. We lowered our broiler production forecast 200 million pounds. Relatively bigger change for boilers than for the other main proteins. Lowered our broiler price forecast 2 cents a pound. That entirely reflects lower prices in the first half of the year. Yet dairy production year over year is still forecasted up. Given weaker returns going forward, along with a few other factors, we reduced our milk production forecast by 900,000 pounds this month. According to USDA World Agricultural Outlook Board Chair Mark Jekodowski, dairy trade projections include lower exports and increased imports. Fat basis imports, we raised 100 million pounds this month, mainly reflecting imports of cheese. Exports we reduced, also reflecting lower U.S. exports of cheese and uh, some various fluid and dry products. On a skim solids basis, we reduced our export forecast 400 million pounds. USDA, meanwhile, adjusted all milk product and class prices lower from the previous month, with butter price the load exception. 
The all milk price is now $20.70 a hundredweight, down 70 cents from last month. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Rod. And a quick reminder, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is still accepting applications for the 2023 Environmental Stewardship Award. They'll be accepting those until March the 10th. The yearly award recognizes outstanding stewardship practices and conservation achievements of U.S. cattle producers. Now, any group, individual, or organization is eligible to nominate one individual or business raising or feeding cattle. Individuals and families may not nominate themselves, but nominees may be involved in preparing the application. Along with a typed application, one nomination letter, and three letters of recommendation highlighting the nominee's leadership in conservation are required. The regional winners will be announced during the 2024 Cattle Industry Convention. For more information or to download a nomination packet, go to this website, environmentalstewardship.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. What GMO crops are grown and sold in the U.S.? Well, there's corn, like me, soybeans, canola, sugar beets, and cotton. Typically, we're ingredients in certain foods. GMO alfalfa, corn, soybeans, canola, and cotton are used as animal food. And while you won't find many GMOs in the produce section, there are versions of GMO apple, summer squash, potato, and papaya in a few markets. Feed your mind with more GMO knowledge on FDA's website. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Farmers who missed the deadline can still send in their senses of agriculture. That's coming up on this land of ours. Farmers and ranchers still have time to be counted in the 2022 Census of Agriculture. Although the deadline for submitting the Ag Census just passed, the National Agricultural Statistics Service will continue to accept completed census questionnaires through the spring to ensure all farmers and ranchers take advantage of the opportunity to be represented in this widely used data. NASA Administrator Hubert Hammer says, quote, We want all producers to use their voices to help shape the future of American agriculture. NAS will continue to follow up with producers through the spring with mailings, phone calls, and personal visits. Farmers and ranchers are encouraged to complete their ag census online at agcounts.usda.gov or by mail as soon as possible. Federal law mandates that everyone who received the 2022 Census of Agriculture questionnaire complete and return it. That same law requires NAS to keep all submissions confidential. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. Farmers and ranchers face price and production risks. One way to reduce risk is by using the commodity futures exchange markets to hedge the potential costs of commodity price volatility. For tax purposes, where's the line drawn between hedging and speculating? I'll be back in a moment with the details. Kansas State University consistently ranks in the top 10 of all ag schools. 97% of K-State ag graduates are employed or furthering their education. 
Learn more at ag.ksu.edu. I'll get back to the report in a moment, but I want you to know that Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company has sold farm to ranch land and farm equipment in 40 states. Learn how the Schrader family can help your family. Visit SchraderAuction.com. That's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R Auction.com. Hedging involves a transaction that is entered into in the normal course of the taxpayer's trader business with the primary purpose of reducing price risk in the commodities the farmer raises or grows. Speculation is an investment strategy unrelated to reducing price risk in the farmer's actual commodities. Hedging transactions generate ordinary income or loss. That means that the losses are fully deductible business expenses. The downside is that the income is subject to self-employment tax. Speculative transactions result in capital gain or loss. While speculative gains aren't ordinarily subject to self-employment tax and capital losses offset capital gains, any excess amount is deductible against ordinary income only to the extent of $3,000 per year. Also, to get hedge tax treatment, make sure to use the farm bank account or the proper farming entity. For example, the hog business entity should engage in hog futures transactions. Knowing the tax difference between hedging and speculation is a big deal, especially when losses are involved. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. A drop in farm cash receipts and net income. That is what USDA's analysts are projecting for this year. The latest forecast has producers generating just over $150.5 billion in net cash income. Down about 21% relative to last year. Which was a record high income year. This from Spiro Stefano. He runs the USDA's Economic Research Service and he says USDA is projecting a 4.3% decline in total cash receipts, a 3% drop for crops. Corn, soybeans, cotton, fruit, vegetables, all forecast to go down. Only wheat will see an increase in receipts, but by less than 1%. Livestock receipts, meanwhile, expected to drop by 5.7%, led by a decline in dairy sales. Also, farmers will get a lot less from the government. USDA says direct government payments will be down this year by about 34%. Meanwhile, on production expenses, last year those went up 11%. You may remember this year. They're going to increase, but not as much, about 4% led by interest rate expenses up 22%. Much smaller increases for livestock and labor, possible small declines, maybe, for fertilizer, fuel, and feed. But in general, most producers are going to see profits drop from last year's record high by almost 21%. Ooh, but is this the right music for this story? One analyst says, no, this is not going to be a gloom and doom year. First off... Almost any year in connection to 2022 is going to look less favorable. USDA's chief economist Seth Meyer told us we have to look at this new forecast not as a farm income disaster by any means. Yes, it is declining relative to last year. Yes, receipts are falling. Yes, government payments are falling. Yes, input prices continue to rise, but it's still a better than the long-run average farm income year. Meyer says this is not a case of asking, is the cup half full or it's half empty? The glass is three-quarters full. It's still a quite good year for farm income. He says producer margins may be squeezed, yes, and so... We're tightening the belt here a little bit. Still got plenty of room. And Meyer says the farm sector will make it through this year. Still in pretty good shape. This is not in good shape, Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. 
This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. Keep an eye on Wall Street here at the end of the week. The performance of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, when compared to the performance of the S&P 500, the Dow is off to the worst start for a year since 1934. Now, both are higher for the year, but the gap between them has not been this wide since 1934. And the outlook does not look any better into March and April. The president of the Federal Reserve Board in Cleveland said in a speech yesterday she saw compelling economic reasons to hike interest rates by 50 basis points in the February meeting. But, of course, the Fed raised rates by 25 basis points. Her comments and economic data coming from Wall Street fuel ideas that a 50, maybe even 75 basis point hike might be in store in the March meeting. AgriLiquid will be at Commodity Classic next month in Orlando. If you're heading to the Classic, Find them on the trade show floor at booth number 2749-2749, AgriLiquid at Commodity Classic. This is the Bottom Line Report. We see a grain and livestock trade a bit oversold here as we end the week technically, and we look for a higher trade this week ahead. And that's our bottom line as we end this week. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day and a profitable week ahead. Brian Tambari, Productivity Plus Program Manager at CNH Industrial Capital, says they can help to simplify a farmer's purchasing process. KSIH's captive finance partner, CNH Industrial Capital, offers a line of credit called Productivity Plus. This line of credit can be used for qualifying parts, service, inspections, and rentals, putting all your KSIH purchases and services in one place. Productivity Plus is specifically designed with farmers in mind, with specific offers for the full range of seasonal farming needs. Productivity Plus account holders also have access to exclusive offers and flexible payment terms. Productivity Plus can also help keep farmers organized. Productivity Plus helps farmers simplify, save time, and stay organized by putting all your purchases in one place 
under one system. That means easier tracking with one billing statement and due date, making accounting simple. Also, everyone you work with from those in the call center to equipment servicing are part of the CNH industrial family, which means no third-party outsourcing. He says the program allows you more day-to-day flexibility on the farm. Running a farm is hard work and a significant investment. We want our customers to have flexibility with their time and cash flow. By simplifying your purchasing process, you can dedicate focus to other areas of your operation and plus up your productivity. To learn more about Productivity Plus and how to sign up, talk with your local Case IH dealer or visit mycnhistore.com and click financing. Again, Brian Tambari is with the Productivity Plus program at CNH Industrial Capital. Chad Smith reporting. Today, we're going to talk a bit about the growing problem of identity theft. I'm Gary Crawford, and we have... No, no, I'm Gary Crawford. That's ridiculous. I'm Gary Crawford. I've always have been. No, I'm the real Gary. No, no, you are an imposter. No, no, you are. Here's uh, my Social Security number and, oh, uh, uh, your, uh, I mean, my bank statements and credit cards. So out of the chair, square. You can't talk to me like that. I'll talk any way I like to me. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, what just happened here? Someone who's trying to be you. <laughs> Doing a good job of it, too. That's Janae McNally. She is an extension expert at Kansas State University. She says somehow, someway, somebody must have gotten hold of my personal information, enough of it to start charging stuff to my account and doing all sorts of things, in essence, pretending to be me. Why me, I will never understand. Uh, I'll never know exactly also how my private information got out there, but Janae says I probably could have nipped this doppelganger's plot in the bud if I had just noticed earlier some things that were going on, some clues. For example... If you should stop receiving bills you expect maybe your utility bills, maybe that's an indication that someone has used your identity and made an address change in your name. Ooh, or we might get bills for um, health care services we didn't have. I know I did not ask for the facelift that's on here. And so, uh, Janae says, We should regularly review our monthly statements for transactions that are strange to us or maybe that we don't recognize. But most importantly, she says, do three things. Check your credit, check your credit, and check your check credit. Check your credit. Get your credit report. Look at it closely. There are three credit reporting companies, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. All three of these collect and share the financial information on individuals. Each of those companies will give you one free report a year, and there are lots of things in that report, including, for example, current and past addresses, mortgages, loans, store credit cards, and utility bills. You know, it tells the financial accounts if you're in good standing. For example, do you pay your bill on time? Now, if you have questions about the credit reports and such, Janae says there's a good place to go. Go online to creditreport.com, creditreport.com, or call, and here's the number, 877-322-8228. That's 877-322-8228. As to uh, preventing our personal information from being stolen in the first place, Janae says shredding all the paper that might have account numbers on it's a good idea. Also, bring in your mail as soon as possible after it's delivered. And finally, if someone contacts you and ends up asking for any personal information over the phone, do not give it to them. And if you're doing business online, use a strong password with your accounts. Mine are so strong, I can't remember them myself. Next time, we'll talk about how to keep from being a victim of phone scams. This is Gary Crawford. Oh, no, you're not. No. No, I'm Gary Crawford. Fine. Reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air, your food. You're going to need our determination, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. I'm your host, Danielle Leal, tossing it right on over to Agnet West Brian German with today's interview segment. My name is Anya Radova. I'm the CEO of Western United Dairies. And checking in once again about the Landflex program. Um, number one, let's just get a, a snapshot of, of what that is for anyone that might not know at this point. Landflex is a voluntary farmer incentive program offered by the Department of Water Resources in their attempt to expedite Sigma compliance and buy some long-term certainty for areas that are overly dependent on groundwater extraction for crops. The idea is to fallow portions of your land, get paid in exchange, but also put on the table what your groundwater opportunities would be if you wanted to sell that to DWR. It is a portion of Landflex. It's resulting in a much more expensive payment to the farmer by the state. But the idea is to find a value for groundwater, buy down that demand, and make sure that it's permanently reduced in the future so that some of these GSAs can come into early Sigma compliance. And we've talked about this program a little bit more in depth before of just what uh, what this program offers, kind of the incentives there. But there is an announcement coming up here soon that's uh, pretty important. So what's what's on the horizon here? Yeah. So finally, we can finally say after many many months of testing the waters, making sure that we had a good read from both policymakers and farmers and agriculture. Uh, the program is, uh, we are announcing the winners of the GSA selection next Tuesday, February 21st, and we expect that the farmer portal will go live on Tuesday. It is a first come, first serve. So if you are a farmer in one of these selected GSAs, we encourage you to take a look at this program, apply for it. And in the meantime, you can go to landflex.org and make sure you can learn more about what's in it, what's involved, what you'd be giving up, what you'd be getting in exchange. Um, it's working out to be about 6500 to $7,800 an acre, but there are some caveats that significantly separate this from other following programs. So again, a uh, hard deadline coming up. People want to get well-versed. Let's go through that uh, website once more and the fact that this, this is an incentive and an opportunity. Yes. So landflex.org, there is a tremendous amount of additional information there, um, but the technical assistance providers are going to be in charge of making sure farmers have the right amount of outreach. We are going to be helping folks with their application in all languages. There are small farmer incentives as part of this program, so don't let size be a inhibition. A couple guardrails to think about, though, you can enroll 25% of your entity or 40 acres. So you can either cap at 40 acres or up to 25%. 
we didn't want people to become permanent following farmers as a result of this. But other guardrails include there is a payment cap of $2.5 million per entity, um, and there is an AGI cap of an average over three years, $2.5 million per entity. So easy to remember, $2.5 million is the cap on both payment and AGI. Uh, generally speaking, the applications will be processed on a first-come, first-served basis. There is $25 million available immediately, and we expect to receive another 25 within the number of weeks, depending on the you know, the demand for applications. So we're open to that. But, you know, I want to really encourage everyone to take a look at this. It is voluntary. It may work for your farm and it may not. Uh, But we're really trying to provide another tool to both farmers and GSAs in a time of uncertainty or what, what they can do with Sigma. Thanks, Brian. And stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at fels.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. In this week's California Chill Hour report brought to you by Dormex. Wake up your buds with Dormex. We're speaking with Masood Kesri once again, research director at the Mari Agricultural Research Institute. Masood has been working on a multi-year research project looking at chill accumulation and bloom synchronization in pistachio orchards. And as part of that project, there has been some trial work that's included Dormex, which is showing to provide some pretty beneficial results compared to the control trees. So, Masood, what might be some helpful pointers for anyone that might be worried about pistachio bloom and might be looking to try something like Dormex? You know, most of the, the pistachio growers and farm managers are not uh, familiar with uh, this new product, Dormex. Uh, and uh, I highly suggest that if they have any concern about this product, it's good to try it in a few rows in large scale and harvest them separately from the entire field and then get the data and to see what's the effect of Dormex on those rows, on those uh, few rows. And then they can have a better understanding how Dormex or other risk-breaking agent can work in their their individual field. This is uh, very important uh, and location by location, year by year, everything would be different. So it's good that the growers and the farm managers have their own experience of using Dormex and other risk-breaking agents to see what's the effect on the crop and production. So if someone might not be familiar or have experience with a dormancy-breaking material like that, maybe it's not best to go all in on it. But like you said, pick an area and see if it would work in your individual operation before making a full-scale commitment there. That's correct. And uh, I also want to say that when they choose, uh, when they pick that small area, a few rows, it's good to have the male rows as well because 
besides we know besides as a male and female trees so in that uh, small trial it's good to have both male and female roles uh, so that way you can get more of a representative example of how an orchard might respond if it were applied on a broader scale because that's the idea of it is to bring those male and female trees more in alignment which then gives the potential to increase yield there right that's correct and also they can also investigate and track the bloom synchrony and bloom timing of male and female and they can see that how it is going on and information from the uc davis chill calculator shows that as of february 15th the durham simis station has logged 71.4 portions under the dynamic model with 1214 hours below 45 degrees the station in Manteca has registered 68.3 portions with 1,108 hours. There have been 1,273 hours in Merced with 69.4 cumulative portions. In five points, there have been 1,192 chill hours equating to 65.2 portions. Finally, the Simis station in Shafter has registered 65.9 portions with 1,163 hours. And this has been the California Chill Hour Report brought to you by Dormex. Tune in again next week for another episode. New mechanisms to address water management and conservation out west. USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service is involved in two recently announced efforts to address water supply challenges across the western U.S. USDA's Rod Bain talks with NRCS Chief Terry Cosby in this next report. Two recently announced mechanisms through USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service are designed to address water shortage issues out west. There is the Western Water and Working Lands Framework for Conservation Action. NRCS Chief Terry Cosby says goals from this framework address six identified challenges to water management and resource resiliency. Forecasting water supply, we're looking at how we sustain the productivity of these areas, protecting groundwater availability, protecting source water availability, managing and restoring rangeland and forest land, and also responding to the disruption from catastrophic events. In addition, a collaborative effort between USDA and the Interior Department called the Water Smart Initiative is providing funding resources to 37 existing and three new priority areas in the West to conserve water and build resiliency. UC Cooperative Extension will be hosting the 51st Quad County Walnut Institute in Stockton. The event will take place on Tuesday, February 28th at the Robert J. Cabral Ag Center in Stockton beginning at 8 a.m. Some of the topics of discussion will include mold infections and their management in walnuts, whole orchard recycling, updates on walnut huskfly, flat-headed borer, and worm pests, as well as new research on the benefits of cover cropping in orchards. Following the morning break, Jennifer Williams with the California Walnut Commission will be giving an industry update, followed by a presentation on managing infiltration problems and related impacts and diseases, and a discussion on Phytophthora root and crown rot and Paradox canker disease will finish out the event. More information on the meeting is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. New Rural Partners Network Investments Announced The latest round of Rural Partners Network Investments focuses on efforts to improve services to historically underserved communities in rural America. USDA's Rod Bain has comments from Secretary Tom Vilsack in this next report. 
Continuing efforts to improve historically underserved rural communities were announced Wednesday in the form of investments through the Rural Partners Network. The Department of Agriculture is announcing $262 million from Rural Development Mission Area focused on projects that will not only create good-paying jobs but also provide a wide array of opportunities in these communities from low-income housing to renewable energy projects to improve water and wastewater systems to expanding educational health care facilities. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says the current round of funding is targeted for 68 projects within the Rural Partners Network in nine states in Puerto Rico. Since its launch last April, 36 community partner networks currently are active in 10 states and the Puerto Rican Commonwealth. In some cases, it's an individual city. In some cases, it's multiple counties that have been designated. And with more on this topic... The purpose of this is to actually provide people on the ground who will serve as community liaisons between those communities and the federal government. One of the things we wanted to do was to be able to empower those community liaisons to work with community building organizations and the citizens of these areas to identify projects that would be of most significance and importance in terms of helping to improve the economy and quality of life in those communities. Then we will be able to use those community liaisons to link up to what we call rural desk officers. These are individuals that have been selected in roughly 20 federal departments and agencies that service states and communities. The rural desk officer has as their responsibility to basically be able to be a problem solver. So if there is an issue that crops up that requires the DOT's attention or requires the Department of Education's attention, we have some individual that community liaison can go to immediately and get the help and assistance and the right person in that department to deal with whatever problem arises. So it's To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.